Wow, what a powerful, powerful song. God is a holy God. And in the middle of our, our message today, as we go through this, we're going to find out how can we as sinners approach a holy God. He is so different, so holy, so righteous. It's amazing that we could come into his presence. We'll find out how today. So glad that you're here. Uh, went yesterday to the end of our um, men's golf outing down in Greenville. That was such a great thing. So awesome to see all of our men together in great fellowship. It, it sort of reminded me, though, and tied into my message today, uh, being in Greenville of a story I read years ago in the Montgomery Advertiser. Um, they were having a chamber of commerce meeting in Greenville. And this was a chamber of commerce meeting where they would recognize the business person of the year. And so the chamber president's there, uh, the mayor's there to present the award, and it's down to two candidates. Now, the first candidate, it's pretty obvious, he's a great businessman, owned a local automobile dealership, had been extremely successful, very giving into the community. He, He dressed the part, he had a coat and tie on, pocket scarf, polished shoes, and so he's introduced. Well, then they bring out the the second person, possibly, of the year, and it's a woman, and she has a low-cut blouse on, and bright lipstick, and very dark eyeshadow, and unkept hair, and everybody's sort of shocked, but she is a business person, too. She's the local prostitute. Well, when the people at the commerce meeting see this, they're just appalled, thinking, are, are they trying to make fun of this woman? What are they, they trying to do? And then they actually present the award, Business Person of the Year, to her. And people just get up and they walk out. What a story. Now, it's not a true story, okay? <laughs> Made that one up. I apologize to our first-time guest from Greenville. <laughs> Please do not go tell people that story. But I wanted to set us up this morning for me to tell you a true story that is actually much worse. Jesus is in a small town. And and there's a Pharisee who wants to discuss things with Jesus. Now, we think Pharisee and we think people in black hats. We think the bad guys. That's not how he's looked at. He's the religious, conservative person of the town. He may be the most respected man in this small town because he knows the Bible. He keeps the Bible. He is very diligent about going to church. He seems to have all the right credentials. And so he decides to invite Jesus, who doesn't seem to have the right credentials, to come to his house for dinner. Jesus is this upstart preacher. He didn't graduate from the right theological schools. He doesn't have the right degrees. And he's saying things that sound a little suspicious. And he's certainly doing things that a Pharisee would not approve of in breaking some of their man-made traditions. So the Pharisee wants to have Jesus over for dinner. That wasn't unusual. You would invite rabbis to come and have a discussion. So he's a visiting rabbi. Let's invite him over and let's have a good discussion with him. What's he really saying? But as he walks in the door, you quickly find out the motivation of the Pharisee. His name is Simon. Because Jesus comes to the house 
And they violate all the protocols for physical and spiritual purity. Jesus wears sandals like anybody else. First thing that would have to happen is your feet would be washed by a servant. Nobody washes Jesus' feet. Second, if someone comes to your house, the greeting would be a kiss on the cheek. Nobody kisses him. Third, to make you holy to this point, to endure this, you would need to be anointed with oil. None of that happens. And so Jesus reclines at the table, which means this was a a formal setting. The Pharisees' motives are becoming very pure. He just wants to trap Jesus. He wants it to be very clear by everything that hasn't happened that Jesus does not belong. Now, something interesting about those days is if you had that kind of dinner and people wanted to eavesdrop and hear what the discussion was, all the gates and doors of the house were left open. So anybody from town who heard the rumor that the Pharisee was going to entertain this upstart preacher, Jesus, could come and stand around and listen to the conversation. Well, in that crowd happened to be the town prostitute. I I think she had encountered Jesus before this. She had never had a man that talked about people this way in such love. She she heard his message of forgiveness and love and reconciliation, and she thought maybe this could be for her. And though she hears so she hears this rumor that Jesus is there and, and she she just wants to see him. Some probably thought she came there to round up some business after the meeting. It wouldn't have been unheard of. But that wasn't her motivation. She brought the only thing of any worth to her was an alabaster full of perfume. That perfume was a cheap perfume. The purpose for a prostitute was simply to cover up the smell of the men she had slept with. It was almost a deodorant. So she comes, and she's watching. And she sees Jesus just demeaned and mistreated and treated like he was a whore. And the anger wells up in her. How dare they treat this man this way? And finally, it wells up to the point, the mixture of gratitude and indignation and love that she just sort of bursts into the scene and comes walking toward Jesus. Everybody just doesn't know what to do. They're embarrassed. Here's this woman, this prostitute coming. And so she just melts at Jesus. She just falls apart and she gets on her knees and she she simply begins just to kiss his dirty feet over and over and over and over again. Can you imagine the embarrassment? And then she just, she loses it and she just begins to cry and she begins to wash his feet with the, the tears She didn't know how long this can go on because this is trouble. And she's made a mess with all the slobber and all the tears. And she's scared the Pharisees are about to come and get her. And so she decides to clean up her mess. And so she can't find a towel. So she undoes her hair. And she takes her hair down and she begins to mop dry the feet of Jesus. And that doesn't sound like a big deal to you and I. But for a woman in that day to have her hair down in public was complete embarrassment. In fact, what it would say is she was trying to seduce Jesus. It was a seductive move. 
So what does she do? It's about, I mean, about to be over so quickly she reaches between her breasts. She gets this vial of cheap perfume and she anoints the feet of Jesus with it. In the middle of this, Simon the Pharisee cannot believe this is happening, more or less happening in his house. And, and, and even then, if Jesus claims to be a prophet, Simon begins to whisper his friends, if he were a prophet, he would not let this happen. The moment this woman burst on the scene, he would have rebuked her. He certainly would have pushed her away from this embarrassing moment. It was proof positive that Jesus could not be who he claimed to be. Now here's the crazy thing. It actually was proof that he was a prophet. That he could look into someone's heart. That he could look past this woman's rough exterior and he could see a person who repented, who adored him, who loved him, and he embraced her. And then we come to the conversation he has with Simon the Pharisee. Go with me to Luke chapter 7 in verse 40. Simon's been thinking these things, and Jesus said, Simon, I have something to tell you. Ever have someone come to you? I've got to have a talk with you. Tell me, teacher. And then Jesus tells this brilliant story. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii. The other, only 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. And now here's the killer line. The killer question. Now, which of them will love him more? The one forgiven 500 denarii or the one forgiven just 50? I imagine there's a silence here. Simon wants to come with a comeback. He certainly doesn't want to agree with this teacher, but he can't get around it. And so finally the words stumble out. I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. And then watch the scene very closely. Then Jesus turned toward the woman and said to Simon, he turns toward this woman who's embarrassed the whole town and speaks to Simon. Here's the first question he asks. It's an absurd question on surface. Do you see this woman? Oh, oh gosh. I mean, if you're Simon, you know, if this woman has messed up your whole scene, I mean, Simon would probably say, I've not seen anybody but this woman. Give me a break, dude. What kind of crazy question is that? Do you see this woman? But Jesus is asking at a deeper level. Jesus is not just saying, do you physically see this woman? Have you acknowledged that she's doing this? Oh, yes. Jesus is going, here's your problem, Simon. You don't see this woman. You don't see what I see. You've treated her like a thing, and now you're treating me like a thing. And then listen, as Jesus continues in this discussion, he said, Simon, I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but the woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love is shown. And here's the, wow, this is the convicting line. 
But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. You don't have to be a rocket science to know, he's saying to this Pharisee who thinks maybe he owes 50 denarii, he's been forgiven little and he's not loving much. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. And I think Jesus is announcing the forgiveness that took place before this story. As her great love has shown, it's shown that she's forgiven. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? They put two and two together. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus forgives sins. He must be claiming to be God. And Jesus said to this woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. What a story. As I've been studying this all week long, the first thing that hit me is what a contrast. You've got Simon the Pharisee and this nameless prostitute. They are so different. And the story must be about their differences between the Pharisee and the prostitute. He's religious. She's irreligious. He's a saint, she's a sinner, he's arrogant, she's humble, he scorns Jesus, she loves Jesus. What could be a bigger contrast in this story? But as I've read it over and over again, it hit me, this is not about them being so different. Jesus' point is actually, they are so alike. You say, what are you talking about? Let me give you a few ways. Number one, they both desire a relationship with God. What we see in this story are two pathways of pursuing God. Number two, they both were debtors. They were sinners. Jesus would even acknowledge, maybe Simon owes a little bit less and she owes more, but they're both in the same boat as debtors. And number three, they're both unable to pay their debts. Though the number might be a little bit different, they're equally unable to do anything about their condition. They they stand, despite they look so different, and what a contrast, they stand on even ground as sinners, unable to win the approval of God. You see, our problem sometimes is often like the Pharisees. We, We can feel good about ourselves if I can find somebody worse than me. So we like this story as a comparison. Yeah, man, I mean, you know, I mean, I'm reading my Bible. I'm going to church. I'm doing the good things. And look at this woman. I can feel good about myself. But what we don't see, guys, is that's not the eternal comparison. The comparison is between you and a holy God, between your imperfection and his perfection. And that that leaves you is in the same boat both of these people should be. It's just humbled before God. So they can't pay it. They're in the same boat. And number four, they are both in need of grace. Their only hope is grace. You you know what grace means, but we can't say it too many times. Grace is an undeserved gift. Say that again. It's an undeserved gift. You can't work yourself to deserve it. And you can't, it's a gift. And actually, it would be offensive to try to pay for it. I was thinking about this a couple of weeks ago. I went to Tuscaloosa to a funeral of a, a dear lady that had been very special in my life when I was about 19 years old. My first ministry job was youth minister at the Northport Church of Christ. 
And uh, this lady had a couple boys in the youth group, Clark and Bert Sims, and her husband Milton was the song leader, and Patsy was just the sweetest southern woman you'd ever seen. The most amazing draw, always positive. In fact, people at church made it a game trying to get her to say something negative. Wouldn't you love someone to do that with you? And that you just couldn't get it out of her. In fact, there was a visiting preacher who had been there before and knew what Patsy Sims was like. And so he had put in his wallet this picture, this haggard woman with smoke circles and dark spots and teeth falling out. And so Patsy came up to him at the beginning of the meeting. He said, Patsy, I don't think I've ever shown you my wife. And she said, please show me a picture. And he shows her that picture and she says, darling, she must have a great personality. <laughs> I mean, that was just Patsy. I mean, she just, you, you couldn't get her to say anything negative. And, and for some reason, they felt sorry for me. And they invited me over to their house probably two or three times a week to eat. So I was single, so I'd go over there and we'd sit down on this meal. They just had a little white cinder block house about two blocks from the church building. We would sit in the kitchen right by the dryer and the washer. I mean, just normal people. And we'd sit there and they'd serve this meal and Clark and Bert were big old boys and they'd fight over the food. Milton would get on to him and Patsy would just smile and shake her head. And then after the meal, we'd go to the backyard. They had a basketball go. And so me and Milton and Bert and Clark, we'd play basketball way into the night. And then we'd come in. And then Patsy would invite me to the living room. And I'd just go in there and she wouldn't know everything about me, everything about Montgomery, everything about my parents, everything about everything. I mean, to show how blind she was, she would literally tell me this, buddy, when you were up preaching last Sunday, you looked like a movie star. <laughs> Don't laugh, okay? I mean, I mean, she would just, you would sit there and you would feel like a million dollars, you know? And it was just so, when she passed away a couple weeks ago, I've not seen her in years, I couldn't help but go. She gave me grace, undeserved gifts two or three times a week. Now, what would it have been like if after one of those nights, I'm walking out of the house and I look back at her and I say, I wouldn't have called her Patsy. I'd said, Sister Sims, can I pay you for this? That's I would have offended her. And guys, when it comes to God's grace, when we think somehow we can pay for this undeserved gift, that I can somehow do enough good stuff to earn it, to, to pay God back even, it's offensive. That's not grace. And that's what Jesus is trying to say to this Pharisee. His message to the Pharisee is, why aren't you treating me like this woman? Why don't you see who I am? Why don't you see how lost you are? Why are you not washing my feet? Why are you not humble? You're a sinner too. But his message is, the problem is you're an arrogant, conceited, religious man who thinks you're close to perfection and you don't need grace. They're so alike. They both need grace. The problem is just one knows it. Number five, and this is so convicting and their love of Jesus, Jesus teaches, is determined by two things. Their acknowledgement of sin and their acceptance of grace. So this morning, if we wanted to measure in this service, how much do you love Jesus? Jesus would say there's two factors. Do you really know what a sinner you are? Do you acknowledge that? And that on your own you're helpless? 
And if you really accepted this unbelievable gift, it's like the old proverb, better a sinner who knows he's a sinner than a saint who knows he's a saint. So Jesus said this, man, you're not seeing reality. And guys, in the midst of this story, here's what we want to tell you. Jesus is turning religion upside down. You see, in ancient cultures, the purpose of religion was to win the favor of God. If you did enough sacrifices or you did enough ritual, if you were a good enough person, then at some place, God's finding, oh, my goodness, I noticed, buddy. Isn't he good? I, that's the person I love. And that's not just ancient. Many of our religion today is the same thing. If I can just read my Bible enough, and if I pray enough, and I go to church enough, and if I give enough, and if I love enough, if I, if I can just do enough, somehow I can get the attention of God, and now he's going to be pleased with me. And Jesus says, that's a false religion then and still now. Here's Jesus' view of religion. You've got to write this one down. Devotion to God is a response to God's grace, not an effort to earn it. You see, that sounds so subtle, but it's completely different. Either I seek to earn it and somehow be in the good opinion of God, or I know I can't, and He saves me, and I'm just so appreciative. I just can't stop telling them thank you. It's like the illustration I heard years ago. Some of you people relate to it, some of you don't. Anybody ever remember buying a car and getting a payment book? Raise your hand. Anybody remember those? Any you guys remember checks? I see, I see a whole section right here, just clueless. Okay, back, back in the day, nothing new. Back in the day, um, when you bought a car, you had a, like, 36-month payment before they let you go for 12 years. If you, if you got a, a, a payment, you know, then what they'd do you, they'd give you a little booklet where you know, it would remind you the date of your payment and what your payment was. And what you would do is there's a little coupon that you would rip off and you'd put in the envelope with your check and you'd mail it. It really was a pretty cool system to help you keep up with it. And guys, here's what I'm going to say. Many of us look at religion like a payment book. I know I've been saved, but I've got to earn this thing, so I'm going to click off this and I'm going to send a payment. I know I didn't deserve it, but maybe I can somehow deserve it if I could just be consistent enough in my payment and get this thing paid off. Listen to me. Jesus' view of religion is that religion is not a payment book. Religion is a stack of thank you notes. That's the difference. Jesus says there's nothing you can pay me, not a one iota that will make any, not a penny. But out of appreciation to me, why don't you just live your life in thankfulness? It's a book of thank you notes. Now let me just tell you this. What I'm teaching today is dangerous. It was dangerous in the first century. The Apostle Paul had to confront it in the book of Romans because some people were saying, quoting Jesus probably, what he really said here is the more sins, the more forgiveness, the more love. And so they think, let me just sin more so I get more forgiveness and I have more love. And Paul says, no, that's not the way you look at it. You're not getting the point. The point is you're so 
in awe of a God that will forgive you once you've acknowledged what a bad, terrible sinner you are that you can't help now but to thank him. You see, people that are scared of what I'm saying today will go, well, buddy, if we really believe that in our church, then everybody becomes spiritual goof-offs and everybody would just sin and people wouldn't be obedient and it would just be a mess. No, no, that, that, that's not Jesus' view. That was not Paul's view. Their view is this. If you get this, if you get how far away from God you are on your own and what Jesus has done for you, you will be more devoted, more committed, more obedient in every way. Because it's not out of a sense of guilt. It's not out of a sense of, of obligation, guys. Some of you are living off obligation right now. It's not working very good. It, it's out of living off gratitude. So I love the story. And I love what Jesus is trying to tell us. And it's radical. And it helps me a little bit with some other stories Jesus tells. Let me show you a couple stories Jesus tells that really I don't like. I don't really like the message of them. But if you understand what we said, you might get it. Look at Luke 7 just for a second with me. It should be up here on the screen. No, Luke chapter 17, excuse me. Luke chapter 17, verse 7. This little story. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, the master can say, come along now, sit down and eat. No, 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 no. That's not. Won't he rather say to the servant, prepare my supper, Get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink after you may eat. And afterwards, you may eat and drink. Well, he thanked the servant because he did what he was told to do? I would hope so. So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. I don't like that. But if you believe what Jesus is teaching the prostitute and the Pharisee, all of your obedience, as good as you can get, is at best just what's expected. Doesn't earn you anything. Now another story that actually, for those that are capitalists, is a little bit even more, um, more dangerous to us. It's called the parable of the workers in the vineyard. You ever struggle through that one? Let me tell you the story. We got this guy that's got this incredible businessman, incredible harvest of grapes. And he needs help because he waited the last minute and he wants to get them all in. And so the morning of the harvest, he goes to the town square and he rounds up as many workers as he can find right then. And they come out and they start harvesting. But the harvest is way too big. And by even nine in the morning, he knows they'll never get it all. So he goes back to town square, brings some other people. He promises the first group when he first calls them, hey, you come work for me all day today, I'll give you one Daenerys. They're like, great. Then he hires the next at 9 o'clock, and then by, by noon he's still in trouble. And so he goes and gets a whole bunch more, and then as late as 5 o'clock, he's still going to the town square and hiring people to bring it in. So everything looks pretty right and normal until it's time for the day to end and for them to be paid. And the master does something we don't like. He pays the guy who came in the morning, earliest in the morning, one denarius, and he also pays the guy who showed up at five o'clock the same thing. Now, what would you say about this? I think there's one word we'd say. That's not what? Fair. You got it. That's not fair. Listen to me. Listen, you got to get this. Christianity's not about fair. You don't want it to be about fair. 
Because this is about fair, not a single one of us in here has hope. And that's what Jesus is trying to say. It's not about fair, guys. It's about grace. So it turns religion upside down. And when you see this clearly, guys, if you can really catch what Jesus is doing here, if you can put yourself in the position of this prostitute who's crazy and then the hero of the story, your life will be completely different. In this story, Jesus is saying, whether you're religious or irreligious, whether you've got some blatant out front sin that everybody knows about, or yours is more hidden, whether yours is more about action or more about attitude, whether you're humble or you're prideful, we all need the gift. And then when we receive the gift, our life is about a response to the gift. And so that's what we're going to end on this morning is just response. The, 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 the plea here today would be, if you get what I'm saying here today, what Jesus taught here, you'll respond more like the prostitute than the Pharisee. She did not care what anybody thought about her. She didn't mind being embarrassed just to say, Jesus, thank you. She in no way believed that cheap perfume earned her anything. She knew she was completely dependent on the grace of God. And despite the fact everybody being around her except Jesus was totally embarrassed by her behavior, she didn't give a flip. All she wanted to do was tell Jesus thank you. And my friend, if you get this today and I get this today, the next few minutes are gonna be different. Now here's how we're going to respond. There's three elements to our response today. First of all, we're going to take communion. I'm going to give you about 30 seconds to a minute of just silence. And I want you to just think of these two things. How sinful you are and how great God's been. Okay, just, just think about that. And then take communion. And then our second element of the next few minutes is we're just going to worship. And guys, when you understand what this woman understood, you know how to worship. And I'm not saying everybody will worship the same in here right now, but I'm telling you, you're going to find a way to express yourself, even if it's embarrassing. Just worship. And then, if today you're the prostitute caught in sin and you understand how good Jesus is, why don't you meet me up here? If you believe Jesus is the Son of God, then we'll take you back here and we'll baptize you. And guys, understand this about baptism. Baptism is not about you earning your salvation. It's not about a checklist that if you get it down right, God's in your, you know, God owes you. No, no, no. Baptism is accepting the gift. It's going, no way I could earn it. The only thing that could save me is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And you can be baptized today and have the gift. It's not about you understanding it all correctly and doing it all correctly. It's simply about receiving the gift. Or maybe you're a sinner and you just need to come before the church and confess and you can come on this front row and write that down. Maybe you're a sinful sinner. Maybe you're just an arrogant sinner. Jesus says you're on equal ground. Just say it. 
So over the next few minutes, that's what we're going to do. Just respond. Not to me, but to this Jesus who's willing to be embarrassed in front of the most religious people of his day. You see, at this point, they don't like him. They're not sure about it. Later, they want to kill him. But he loved you enough to do it. So I close with this line, or a couple of lines. I heard a preacher say years ago, he was an older preacher, so it meant a lot to me when he said it. His name was Stanley Shep. He said, the older I grow, the more I know I'm a whole lot worse than I thought I was. And I also recognize God's a whole lot better than I thought he was. Did you hear that? That happens with age and humility. The older I grow, I recognize I'm a whole lot worse than I thought I was. And God's a whole lot better than I thought he was. If you understand this story, you've got it. I want you to say that with me out loud, okay? Say it out loud. The older I grow, I realize I'm a whole lot worse than I thought I was. And God's a whole lot better than I thought he was. Can we say it like we mean it? This is a big statement, guys. This is a pivotal statement. This will determine your belief about religion and how you become right with God. So let's say it together. The older I grow, the more I recognize I'm a whole lot worse than I thought I was. And God's a whole lot better than I thought he was. Spend some time in silence and let's begin a response to the wonderful grace of God.